Thanks, Tim. It's always an exciting transition for them. And as Tim said, the influence doesn't end, it changes. It changes. And being able to figure that out is part of the challenge of this season of their lives. So I think Tim said we have, I think, 18 seniors from our church that are graduating this year. So there's quite a large number of them uh, that are making this transition in their families as well. Well, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's great to have you here with us. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to extend a special welcome to you this morning. And for those of you that are regular attenders, it's great to have you here with us as well. Our ushers are going to pass out a card to you. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Reg and Kim Frank share about their ministry, their missionary appointees to the country of Austria. And, and we're going to do something this summer that we did last summer, and um, it's called Summer of Generosity. There was a passage in 1 Timothy 6 that talks about us being rich in good deeds. And they're going to give one of these per family. Um, and just for you to stick it on your fridge, put it somewhere in your house, just so you can be thinking about them and praying for them. And so each month this summer, June, July, and August, we're going to have a different focus uh, for us as a church uh, in the area of missions. So uh, this first month, we're going to focus on uh, Reg and Kim Frank and encourage you to be praying for them. We're going to talk about ways you can support them financially. The next month, we're going to focus on uh, PV and Aruna Joseph in India, and they're trying to raise funds for the wa- well, um, excuse me, not the well, the water tower because of the water crisis that they're navigating. We'll give you more details about that. And then we're going to end the summer with a focus locally uh, on the Denver House Project. Uh, many of you, especially in the Cocalico area, know about the Denver House Project uh, through real-life community services, an attempt to uh, restore an old, rundown building uh, for God's purposes. And we're excited about what God is doing there. We've been partnering with them and want to continue to do that even this next year. So take that card home, put it somewhere, uh, pray for Reg and Kim, and we'll give you more information about them over the next couple of weeks. I just wanted to talk to a real person. It didn't seem too much to ask. I had a problem and I needed somebody to talk to. That's all I needed. And even if I couldn't understand them because of their strong accent, I was hopeful that they could help me solve my dilemma. I just needed someone to answer my question. A few weeks ago, I was trying to redeem some points off of a credit card that uh, we have here. And so all I needed to do was to redeem these points was to have them email the credit to my email account so I could take it to the store and use it. Not a very complicated thing. But the problem is they had an old email address that was no longer in existence. So all I had to do was get my email address changed. I follow all the prompts, got to the end, nothing. It didn't work. So I thought, I'm trying this again. So I go back, start at the beginning, follow all the prompts. Nothing. Tried live chat. They weren't available. Tried to hit zero. Got nowhere. I was like at the end of my rope. I just needed someone to listen to me. That's all I needed. By the way, I gave up and had them mail it to me. That's what I ended up doing. Um, But we've all been in that situation where we just want someone to listen to us. That's all we want is someone to listen to us. Students, how many of you have said to your parents, hey, can I go out with so-and-so? And then the questions come, you know, where are you going and who are you going to be with and how long are you going to be and can I interview your friends and, you know, I mean, you just wish this was, this is what your life is all about right now, isn't it, you know? I just want a yes or no answer and I get a lecture. I just want someone to answer my question. And then, of course, you hear the dreaded, I'll think about it and you know that's never going to get resolved. 
You know, you reach out to your boss, you have a question for them, you want to talk to them about a problem that's coming up, you know, and then you email them, you text them, you leave a voicemail, and then you're like, okay, how long should I wait? Okay, it's good enough. Okay, then you email and you text them and you voice, okay, how long should I wait before? You just want an answer to your question, that's all you want. Can someone give me an answer? You've got a conflict with a friend and you try the same thing, text, call, no reply, text, call, no reply, text, call. You just want someone to answer your question. This morning, as we wrap up our series on prayer, uh, we're going to talk about that tension. We're going to talk about that tension because I don't think it matters where you are in your faith journey, whether you've been someone that's been walking with God for a long period of time, whether you're someone who's walked away from God, whether you're someone who's exploring what a relationship with God is all about. We all want this answer. We all want to know how do I get an answer from God? How do I get an answer from God? And today we're wrapping up a series, if you haven't been with us, entitled 40 Days of Prayer. And I've been encouraging you over these past 40 days to be praying to God about one request every single day. One request, day after day after day. And my challenge was for you to pray about something. You, you, you said to yourself, God, I don't know how, and I don't know in what way, and I don't even know what it would look like for you to show up in my life in this particular area. But I'm going to pray and ask that you would. I'm going to pray and ask that you would. For some of you, you've heard remarkable requests, answers to prayer, things you've been requesting of God. Others of you, you're still waiting. And if you weren't here with us last week, we wrestled with that question of, what do I do when God says no or when God's silent? And if you weren't here with us, I encourage you to go online and listen to that to help you give you some direction. Well, our 40-day challenge wraps up on Thursday, so we've got a few days left, and my challenge for you is to continue to ask God to show up in a significant way in your life. God, would you answer this prayer? And so to get us some more direction, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, you can follow along in your Bibles or on your uh, devices uh, on a Bible app. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. In Luke chapter 11, the first part of Luke 11, Jesus provides, or Luke provides, excuse me, a summary of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is also recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel. But Luke takes the same thing, and Luke kind of gives us a condensed version. It's kind of the reduced version of it, and it hits the major highlights, but likely Jesus used this over and over again. Because you recall, if you recall what happened, what Jesus was doing is he was going to different places and he would stop and a crowd would gather and then he would teach. That's what rabbis did. You're always looking to learn from the rabbis. The rabbis were the learned ones in the community. So anytime a rabbi stopped and he had followers and you were going by, you might stop and pause just to sit down and listen to what the rabbi had to say. And so likely Jesus talked about this Sermon on the Mount, this how to pray. This came out of a question his disciples asked when they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to lead. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to do miracles. They said, teach us how to pray. They observed something different when they heard him pray that they had never experienced before. And when Jesus finished with this brief uh, restating of the Sermon on the Mount, he goes on to tell them a story. Before we look at this story, I want to tell you a little bit about their culture. The, the Middle Eastern culture is an extremely hospitable culture. Extremely hospitable culture. You do not turn anyone aside in that culture. 
You do not turn anyone aside. And someone would stop at your house and want to come in. It didn't, re- it didn't matter the condition of your house. It didn't matter your financial well-being. It didn't matter your schedule. You would stop what you were doing, open up your home, and spend time with them. I remember shortly after my wife and I were married, um, how different it was how we would relate to each other's parents. Because um, in my family, when I was growing up, people would stop in. You just invite them in to be a part of your life, and you just keep doing life. That's how things worked in my family. You're like, oh, you're here. Okay, we're doing this. You come in. Okay, we're going. You know, Or we're eating. You want to eat? Sit down. Here's a plate. Here, you can eat. That's the way it was in my family growing up. My wife's family is very different because her um, relatives lived across the country, and so when they came, they were there for the whole week. And so when their relatives show up, life stopped. I mean, it just went everything just paused, you know, and you just stopped life and spent time together with them. Very, very hard adjustment for me. I'm like, come on, we're going to, no, 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 we're stopping. No, no, we're going. No, we're stopping. It was a lot of challenge for us to navigate that. But in the Middle Eastern culture, when people showed up, life stopped. You just stopped what you were doing. You set it all aside and you spent time with them. And it was, this was the way life functioned. There's no Motel 6. There's no fast food restaurants. And you never knew when people were going to come because there's no way to tell them in advance, I'm coming. Now, usually they would know in that culture around the major festivals. They had three major festivals during the year. These three festivals, people would come from all over parts of the the land of Israel to the city of Jerusalem. But other than those times of year, you never knew when people were going to show up. They would just show up. So that's the backdrop to our story. Okay, let's read beginning in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, <clears throat> suppose you got a friend, and you show up at midnight and you say, friend, <clears throat> excuse me, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on the journey has come, and I have no food, I have to be hospital, I have to invite him in, I have to feed him, can you give me some bread? Suppose the one on the inside answers, stop bothering me, the door's locked, my kids are in iron bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of the friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So what's happened in this story? Well, obviously his friend showed up, and he's got to be hospitable. He's got to feed the guy. He has no bread. You can't just go down to Turkey Hill and buy bread. It's an all-day process to make bread. And he says, do you got any extra? Do you got any extra? And his buddy says, dude, leave me alone. Stop bothering me. Stop bothering me. Everything's settled down. Now, a couple other cultural things in that day. Usually in that day, the whole family slept in one bed. So, you know, you know what happens when the kids get woken up, right? Chaos ensues, you know. So everything at all costs to keep the kids asleep, right? So they're all in the same bed. And he's like, dude, shut up. My kids are sleeping, you know. Leave me alone, <laughs> you know. And not only that, you know, down in the front part of the house, they likely would have brought the animals in. They would have been. And, and you start waking up the animals. Then what happens? The animals get woken up. You know, and things start howling and making noise, and, and, and then the kids get, and then it's just utter chaos, utter chaos. He says, leave me alone, leave me alone. I can't get up, and I can't get you anything. Now, somewhere in the mix here, the wife is speaking out. These are two buddies, you know, two dudes talking. The wife's speaking up, and she's nudging him, saying, you better get him out of here. You better shut him up, or you're going to be down there with the animals, you know. That's what's going on in that conversation, that we don't even hear about that, right? And so What happens? He gets what he wants. How does he get what he wants? He tells him, it's not because of your friendship. Your friendship doesn't even matter. 
It doesn't even matter. It's kind of a crazy statement here, but he says this is why he gets what he wants. He says he gets what he wants because of shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. He'll get up, he'll give you as much as you need. I thought, what is shameless audacity? What is shameless audacity? Well, shameless audacity is this boldness, being fearless, willing to do whatever it takes with no concern about personal embarrassment or humiliation. Anybody know anyone like that? A few of you know someone, you're sitting next to someone like that, you know someone in the room like that, you know. They'll, they'll do whatever it takes. They're not carried. They're, they'll ne- they never get embarrassed. They're, hey, whatever I got to do, I'm just going to do it and let the chips fall where they may, you know. That's someone who has shameless audacity. There's kind of this boldness, this confidence. It, it borders right on the line of arrogance, you know. It's right on the line they're a little arrogant about themselves. But they get things done. They move things forward. They accomplish things. And so I thought about what might be some things that this guy on the other side of the door was saying to his friend. He might have been saying things like, dude, this is your best friend who loves you forever, you know. We always came through for one another. You remember in fourth grade when we, were blo- we became blood brothers? We kind of slid our, slid our hand and we put them together and we're going to be there through thick and thin with one another. I was there for you and you said anytime, any place, no matter what, I'm going to come through and now's the time. He was laying it on thick, you know, and he wasn't going to back down until he got an answer. Until he got an answer. Shameless audacity. And Jesus says, this guy got an answer. He got an answer. The guy who had shameless audacity got an answer. The person who prays to God with shameless audacity gets an answer. And I think the principle is that God answers the prayer of people who are bold and persistent with him. God answers prayers of people who are bold and persistent persistent with him. So you say, John, are you saying that's kind of like an ironclad guarantee? If I do this, I'm going to... No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is a principle about our relationship with God. It's a principle about how we communicate with God. It doesn't mean when things are hard that you ignore the painful things and you just focus on God's going to do good and God's going to come through. No, you, you walk into the pain, you walk into the sadness, you allow yourself to grieve, and then you walk into this place of hope and this place of confidence and this place of boldness. You know, I think all of us in this room, we all face life in one of two ways. Some of us face life as we encounter a challenge and we say this, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? The other half of the room, we face life saying, let me tell you what could go wrong. Let me tell you what could go wrong. And I want to suggest to you that in this arena of prayer, we need to come to God and say, God, what could possibly go wrong? Will you do it? Will you do it? And not list all the reasons why it won't work. Not list all the concerns that we have about it. Not think through all the scenarios of why it might not happen and he might not come through and what will I do if he doesn't. But I think we need to come to this other side of the equation here when it comes to prayer and say, God, I'm just coming to you. And I'm going to come with a kind of boldness I don't normally live life with. I'm going to come to you with a kind of confidence that I don't normally walk through life with. But because of who I'm talking to, I'm coming to you this way. I'm coming to you this way, and I'm going to keep coming, and I'm going to keep coming, and I'm going to keep coming. 
What could it hurt to ask the God of the heavens, the creator of the universe, to come through on the promises that he's been making to people of faith for centuries? What could it hurt? He quickly transitions to another thought on prayer. And he says this. He says, ask, and it's going to be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. Everyone who asks, they get something. Everyone who looks, they find something. Everyone who knocks, they get a door open. What happens to the person who doesn't ask? Do they get anything? No. What happens to the person who doesn't look? Do they find anything? No. What happens to the person who doesn't knock? Does the door ever open? No. So what's Jesus' point about prayer? I think Jesus is saying prayer is not about saying the right words. Sometimes people say, John, I just don't know what to say. I just don't know the right words. Prayer is not about saying the right words. Prayer is not about trying to get something from God. I do something so God gives me something. I'm doing this so God you owe me. Talked about that a few weeks ago. Prayer is about being a person that believes God is a God who answers prayer. Prayer is about being a person who believes God will answer prayer. Prayer is about being a person who believes the promises are God, good of God are good and are for you. Prayer is about being a person who holds on to those promises and asks God to make good on his promises and to come through. Come through. How do I get an answer from God? Ask with shameless audacity. Ask with shameless audacity. One of the things that I wanted us to do over these past 40 days was to pray and ask God the same thing for 40 days. Pray and ask God the same thing for 40 days. I want to take a little mini survey. If you've been here with us for some or most of this, uh, this series, I want you to take out the communication card in the pocket in front of you. Everybody could grab one. If you haven't already, grab one, pull that out. If you haven't filled it out, take a moment and do it while I'm talking and telling you to do it. Um, the office staff will be grateful I made you do it this week. You know, <laughs> But just take a moment and fill that out. And on the back side, if you've been praying about something for 40 days, I just want you to write the number 40 on the back side, okay? just want you to write the number 40 on the back side. Um, because one of the reasons that I encourage you to do this is I don't think we do this very often. I know I don't do it very often. And I'm one of you. I don't think we take something to God and we come back. And we come back, and we come back, and we say, God, I know you're good. We say, God, I know you're faithful. We say, God, I know you answer prayer. We say, God, I know you want to meet the needs of the people in my life. I know you want relationships where people love and honor you. I know you want to change people's lives. And we keep coming back. We keep coming back. We keep coming back. We keep coming back. And I don't know about you, but as I began this journey, um, and I said, God, this is, and I really, I said, God, I don't know what you want me to pray for. The very next day, God made it crystal clear, this is what I want you to pray for. Um, and I've prayed for that, I think, most days. God reminds me often during the day, I've not written it down, don't make signs for myself. He just keeps bringing it back, bringing it back, over and over and over again. 
But Jesus doesn't just end there. He gives us more detail on getting an answer from God. Look at verse 11. He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if you ask him for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? He says, If a son asks his father for food, what will the father do? The father will give him what he wants, right? The father would not give him something that would harm him. Sorry, those of you who don't like snakes, freaking out now, but at least I didn't ask Mark Layton, our guitarist, who handles these every day to bring one on stage and traumatize the rest of you. But, um, you know, God says, if, uh, what's a father going to do if his son asks for something? What's the one thing a father wants to do? Most fathers that I know, most good fathers, when your son comes to you and asks for something, you want to do what he wants or even do a little more than he wants, if you possibly can. It's just the heart of a father towards his son or towards his daughter. But Jesus then goes on and he, and he makes this statement. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, you know, dads, I know most of the time when your son comes to you and asks you for something or your daughter comes to you and asks you for something, you generally want to give to them, if you can. But the truth is, ah, you're not perfect. We kind of blow it sometimes. And all the dads would say amen to that, Right? We do. Sometimes we're busy and we can't, right? Sometimes we're preoccupied and we shouldn't be and we don't. Sometimes we have a bad day at work. Sometimes we're in a bad mood. Sometimes we're a little sharp and edgy. Sometimes we're a little over the top harsh. Why would you want that? What in the world are you going to do it? You know, we've all had those experiences, right? Son, daughter comes, they're just asking and we respond in an unkind way. And God says, or Jesus says, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts, what's it like for a father who's not evil to give good gifts? What's that kind of father like? What's it like to have a father who's never busy? What's it like to have a father who's never preoccupied? What's it like to have a father who never has a bad day or is in a bad mood? What's it like to have a father who's not sharp and edgy? What's it like to have a father who's not overly harsh? What's it like to have that kind of father give you good gifts? I've got to believe that that kind of father gives you more than you ever expect. More than you ever expect. And look what he says. How much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give you His Spirit? Now for some of you, it's really hard to grab onto this concept. Because you didn't have a good father. You might not have even had a present father. You might not even know who he is. Or even if you do, you wouldn't call him good, but he is your father. The truth is, most of us get our initial image of God from our experience with our earthly father. And we superimpose that experience and we look through that grid when we experience our heavenly father. 
And so for some of you, maybe many of you this morning, it's hard to believe. It's hard to accept. It's hard to embrace that there is a God in the heavens who loves you this much like we sang about earlier. That loves you this much. That is never busy, never preoccupied, never harsh, never edgy. And He can't wait to give you good things. Beyond How much more beyond what you can imagine? So how does our perception of God change? How how does it change? Let's say you got a friend who's late all the time, and they're like, I'm changing. I'm never going to be late again. And you're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Next time you go to meet them, they're there waiting for you. You're like, oh, that's a nice surprise. Never happened before, you know. We'll see what happens next time, right? (laughs) Next time, they're there a little early. You're like, oh my goodness, wow. Next time, they're there a little early. Hey, what's taking you so long? Why aren't you here on time? You know, giving you grief about being a few minutes late, you know? What's going to take for you to change their perception that they're always late? Time after time after time after time, right? And then you start to what? Their actions cause you to believe that they've changed. What's it going to take for you to change this perception of God that right now is this filter of your father? You're going to need to experience God over and over and over and over and over again in a very different way. In a very different way. I thought about how I've experienced God in in my life in this way and when I was a kid growing up, my dad was starting a church and working a full-time job. There was six of us kids, and my dad wasn't around much at all, just not around much at all. Very few memories of him engaging with me in my childhood. And, um, and we didn't have a lot of finances, didn't have a lot of resources. There wasn't, wasn't a lot that my dad could, could do extra with me um, in that season of my life. And I remember when I went away to college... And I had to pay, through, pay, my, pay my way through college, and I didn't quite know how I was going to do it, and I knew I should talk to God about it, so I started praying and asking God, I said, God, you're going to have to help me. I said, I'm working during the summer, and I'm working during school, but there's not enough here, and can you provide? And God would provide. And then I'd go through the next semester, God would provide. Next semester, God would provide. Next semester, God would provide. I started to believe that God would provide and take care of me. And I was thinking about this even just recently because even in my own life today, some nearly 25 years after that experience, I still find myself when I'm at a place where there's some financial need and I'm not sure what we're going to do and, and, and Christine and I haven't been able to figure out how we're going to solve this dilemma that we're in right now, I find myself saying, you know what, I'm just going to write this on a piece of paper. I'm going to talk to God about it. Because you know what, God's come through. He's come through. He's come through. And my perception's changed. It's not what I thought it was. And he's going to come through. And he always comes through. He always comes through. He doesn't always just show up. Doesn't always just end up in my mailbox, you know. But God comes through somehow. And sometimes I'm quite amazed that he did that. And so I think for some of us, the challenge is to alter the way that we see God. And to say, God, I want to see you in the way that this talks about you. Not through the lens that I've lived with all my life. 
Because I want to be a person that believes you, and I want to be a person that can pray, and pray with this power, and pray with this shameless audacity. To the creator of the universe, then you're going to show up. See, not only do I believe God wants to answer our prayer, I think God wants to exceed our expectations. God wants to exceed our expectations. Some of us set goals, and we're not sure how we're going to get there. Others set goals, and we know how we're going to get there. Those really aren't goals, by the way. <laughs> but I think when it comes to prayer, we need to pray not knowing how God's going to do it. Not knowing how God's going to do it, but believing that He will. I believe that God wants us to pound on heaven's doors with prayers that we have no idea how He's going to answer. Believing He's going to show up, He's going to answer our prayers, and He's going to exceed our expectations. I believe God wants us to pray for people who are far from God and we have no idea how He's going to bring them back. I believe God wants us to pray for family members who are estranged and relationships that are severed and we have no idea how He's going to restore them. I believe God wants us to bring our financial struggles and our school bills and we have no idea how we're going to pay for them. I believe God wants us to bring people who don't know Jesus and we have no idea how they're going to meet Jesus. I believe we need to bring our addictions, our struggles, our heartaches. We have no idea how He's going to deliver us and free us and help us to live with this pain and struggle the rest of our lives. I believe we need to bring spouses who are struggling and we have no idea how God's going to restore and heal our marriage. Far too often our prayers are with our fingers crossed hoping that somehow God's going to come through. And I think the God of the heavens is waiting for us to uncross our fingers and to pray with a shameless audacity, believing that He is a good God and can't wait to do more than we ever imagine or expect. So what's the roadblock for you? What's the roadblock keeping you from praying this way? Maybe you're just a practical person and you kind of say to yourself, well, if I can't really see how God could do it, I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'm just going to work my plan. And a plan's important, but prayer's more important. Maybe we just do it all ourselves. Maybe you really don't talk to God about things because you just take care of life yourself. You're really good at it. Maybe you just don't believe God's going to come through. Or maybe you pray about it and then you forget and just kind of give up. You forgive up. So how do I pray this way? How do I pray this way? Well, one of the ways you pray is by reading stories of people who have prayed in these ways. 
and a resource that I came across recently is this book called The Circle Maker. I don't know how many of you have seen it. Um, it's called Praying Circles in Your, your Greatest Dreams and Your Biggest Fears by Mark Batterson. Um, sometimes I've got to pray about people that are crazy enough to pray for amazing things and God shows up and does it because my faith is not that big. My faith is kind of small. And I've got to pray. I've got to read about others that are doing that. But I would also say talk to God with this kind of boldness, this kind of confidence, and this kind of faith that a good father's can't wait to do great things for you. And so where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, our 40 days is coming to an end on Thursday, and I want to challenge you to consider this. Maybe the next 40 days you keep praying about your initial request. Maybe God says, you say, what do I do, God? Do I stop? Do I move on? God says, no, I want you to keep going. You're like, all right, I'm in. Sign up for another 40. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Maybe ask God for a new request and begin a new 40 days. Say, God, I want to, I want to pray and I want to talk to you in a way, trusting that you're going to show up because you're a good God and you're willing to do this. And pray with shameless audacity because God will always give you more than you expect. He will always give you more than you expect. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. Um, and, and as you do, I just want to give you a moment to talk to God about where you're at right now. Um, maybe you're not quite sure about this whole God thing and Him coming through. And um, My challenge to you would be, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Talk to the creator of the universe. See how he might show up in your life. Maybe some of you, your prayers are just little prayers. They're tiny prayers. And you kind of know how God's going to show up and do these things. And it's, it's a little risky and scary to pray a big prayer. Because what if God doesn't come through for you? And then what? And for some of you, it's just saying, God, help me to believe that you are who John's saying you are. Because right now, I don't see it. I've never experienced it. I've never known a father to be like that. And it's hard for me to believe that you are God. God, help me. help me. Father, you know each of our lives and each of our stories and each of our journeys. Um, you know what these past 40 days have been like for us. God, I just ask that you would meet us wherever we are. Um, if we're battling doubt, meet us there. If we need our faith to grow, meet us there. Um, if we need you to help us persevere, meet us there. Because God, I think there's not a person in this room that doesn't want to see God show up in their lives. To see God at work in their lives. And we wonder how that will happen. 
And maybe, God, you're waiting for us to come to you with a bold, faith-filled, shameless audacity. Believing that what we saw you do once in our lives, what we've read about you doing when you parted the Red Sea, when you showed up, when Jesus performed miracles, all of those things, that you'll just do something supernatural and miraculous and hard to figure out how it even happened in our lives once again. God, that's what I long for. And I don't want to see you just do it once. I want to see you do it over and over and over and over again. And so God, whatever it, wherever you need to meet us, whatever you need to do, it's our prayer today that you would in your name.